My name's Emily and I'm an osteopath and healthcare enthusiast working in the Midlands. I spend every week helping my patients reduce their aches and pains, move their bodies more and live the healthiest life possible. And now I want you to join the conversation. In this podcast, I'll be investigating the people and places around the Midlands that are on the same mission and ask them to share their knowledge to transform your health. There's no subject that's off topic. Nutrition, mental health, sleep and fitness, it's all here. This is the Healthy Midlands Podcast. So after a little bit of trauma getting set up, (laughs) I'm finally ready to talk to Rachel Priestley, the lactation consultant. Hello, Rachel. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) We had a bit of a technical glitch in getting set up. So me and Rachel have actually had this conversation sort of halfway already. (laughs) But we're on track now and it's going to be fine. We're not going to run into any more technical difficulties. (laughs) And we're just going to jump straight in. (laughs) I'm so pleased to have Rachel here. Um, We've had loads and loads of different baby-related guests on the podcast in this series. Um, but we haven't had anyone from the lactation field. So it's really, really exciting to be able to talk to Rachel about this today and how her work with parents who are breastfeeding and their babies has such a massive impact on those first few months of life. Hello, Rachel. Hi. <laughs> I'm really happy to be here. You're really brave saying that we're not going to have any more technical issues. We're not going to have any more technical issues. I have issues, this impact. <laughs> Well, it's quite a, a, a meander, I guess. I, it wasn't what I intended to go into. My first degree was in linguistics, so I was an interpreter for a while. Um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> We've got my dog Rufus has joined us uh, this afternoon, and he's uh, just decided to have a little wake up and a wander around the rehab gym where we're recording this. So if you hear a few sort of little... So yeah, my first degree was in linguistics, um, and I was an interpreter for the deaf um, when I had my first baby. Um, and I think my experience with that and with my second child as well is something that sort of pushed me towards this this field. Um, I'd had quite positive experience of the actual feeding side of things but I had a lot of pressure to stop feeding and to use formula which is probably the opposite of what I expected I was going to get um, and I started to go to support groups and became a peer supporter where you're supporting other parents and then thought actually this is something that is really um, drawing my attention it's something that I'm really interested in and particularly the science side of it as well. Um, and so I decided that that's what I was, I was going to do and my aim would be to go and, and qualify as a lactation consultant. Um, and it's, it's quite important to me because I think we just don't have access to that kind of support in hospitals often because of you know, you know, issues with funding and things like that and time pressures. So. And so this would probably be a good point at which to ask, what is a lactation consultant? Yeah. <laughs> So a lactation consultant is, is someone that sort of comes in and fills the gap really where our experience um, around feeding is, is lacking, I suppose, 
we've, um, it, we've this is a, it's a skill that we've that we've learned for millennia from each other, and now we're sort of we've got a dearth of people around us that that are actually doing it and have got any experience doing it, um, and so we end up sort of trying to learn this this skill that we would have had experience with from when we were really, really small and grown up with and seen other people breastfeeding and heard people supporting each other and it's so on. It's quite shrouded and mysterious, isn't it, really, yeah. breastfeeding? And I think, well, how old are your children, Rachel? They're 22 and 16. Yeah, so they, they would have been born, uh, what, like, early 90s? Yeah. And that was, like, not the best No, I think we've been, it's sort of been going on for generations, but it doesn't take very long for a skill which requires some learning from others. Obviously, it's, it's got a reflex to, uh, you know, element to it as well, much like learning to walk or talk. Um, but there's also that element of learning from each other. It doesn't take very long, a generation maybe, yeah, for that to go. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> although we've got those reflexes there, if you haven't got that support around, you haven't got that experience, you haven't grown up with it, it's very difficult to start from scratch. And often we're starting from scratch and where the first time that we see a baby breastfeeding or trying to learn to breastfeed might be our own baby. Yeah. And we could be in our 20s or 30s or 40s and we haven't seen anyone else breastfeed. We haven't got that experience and we're expecting ourselves to learn that, that on our own. Isn't it? When you put it that way, yeah. that you can to like your potentially like your fourth decade of being on this planet with never really watching anybody else do something mm -hmm. and then that is such we view it as such a natural skill that we think that we'll just well you surely it's just going to happen your body's going to know what to do mm -hmm. it'll just do what it needs to do and it doesn't and then then it's a crisis and it's a really vulnerable point in your life where emotions are really really high uh -huh. and, and your body's not doing what you thought it was going to do yeah. blame ourselves don't we and and a lot of the time maybe your body's doing what it needs to do but that combination of what do I physically need to do to support my baby and what does my baby need to do to be able to learn how to feed as well and understanding that it's a learning process rather than something that you just you know you your baby gets born and they're sort of plugged on to your breast you know we've kind of lost the idea that this is something we need to learn so we've, we have it's like I was saying before we've got it's Part of that will be a reflex, but it has to come together with, you know, the ability to learn it from people around us. And if we haven't got that, the idea that we're sort of sitting alone in a hospital cubicle or at home in our bedroom trying to learn how to do this thing on our own, yeah. that other mums had the benefit of millennia of knowledge being handed down to them for. And then it's just quite like, a, I've heard real horror stories from friends who've had babies where, um, and like now I think
she'd had a, a breast reduction when she was younger, and um, like, and all right, so some of the details on this story might be sketchy because I can't remember the last time she told me. But as I understand it, she'd had like, oh, excuse me, Rufus. The dog is now getting annoyed because he can't drink Rachel's tea, and he's like telling her off about it. So I've got my eyes on him, and then I'm going to tell you a really inaccurate story about what happened to my old flatmate. <laughs> So she's had her first baby, she's had preeclampsia, awful times, emergency cesarean, worst, 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 like really traumatic. Um, and then they gave her um, her baby in the hospital, they misdated him on the scans, he was younger, he was more premature than they thought he was, oh he was still premature, he didn't really have the reflex ability to swallow properly. Um, they said, right, you, you know, you've got to breastfeed this baby now, come on. Um, and she was like, oh, well, I actually had a really dodgy breast reduction in the 90s, and I know that there's nothing in there, uh -huh. not in parts, and it's not going to happen. And um, they're like, don't be silly. And she uh -huh. was like, oh, I had the surgery in Africa. Oh, it's gosh. Not, it's not like, yeah. you can do it the same way. I don't have work in breasts. It's not going to work. They're like, don't be silly. That's, it is going to work. Uh -huh. And the baby needs to be fed. Baby couldn't swallow, she couldn't lactate. Yeah. Three days later, the baby's lost loads of weight and they're, they're back there crying. Yeah. Like, yeah. Obviously. And I think it only takes one horror story like that to really shape like your, if that's the first breast story, uh, exactly. breast story I've ever heard. Yeah. And then that's far, isn't and it? That sort of like branches off. Sets up loads of expectations. The more that you hear of bad breastfeeding, stories yeah. or bad experiences that your friends and peers have had, then it's going to set up lots of um, anxiety in you that when then it comes time for you to feed a baby, you're like, oh, I've heard all these bad things. And yeah. Do you know what? Maybe it would just be easier to give them a bottle. Uh-huh. And, and I, oh, do you see how like, people get drawn down that path? Yeah, and it's viral, isn't it? It does take people down. Yeah. And we know that the majority of, of parents in this country want to breastfeed. We yeah. know that. But we also know that we've got the lowest breastfeeding rates in the world. We so have the lowest, the lowest yeah. In the world. Yeah. And it's partly to do with, you know, we became industrialised um, and we needed to go out and work. We needed to not have our children with us. And it's partly because, you know, companies came in and filled the gap. You know, we weren't wanting to um, get other people to nurse our children for us anymore. Um, it, breastfeeding became seen as something that only lower class people did so it was aspirational to use another product and so on so there's lots and lots of things in there but it's like we were saying before it just takes one generation really to lose that skill they can't pass that on to other people and then you're stuck as that mum in the hospital in the cubicle or getting some, some information or some advice that isn't quite right like your friend um, So and that's where it would be ideal if every hospital had a brilliant infant feeding team with lots of supporters who could come and see you and every mum in the hospital got a visit however they were feeding so that they knew exactly what they were doing by the time they got home but partly it won't be enough because of us not having that background having grown up so you know yeah. we kind of need this ongoing support it doesn't have to, it shouldn't just be in the hospital but it also shouldn't start then when we've had our baby already you know we know that we need this preparation really in your work, Rachel, do you see parents even before yeah, they Yeah, absolutely. And for some people, I'll see them preconception. So for some people, for example, families that are having their babies through surrogacy experience or 
through adoption. You know, their, their experience of seeing me will definitely be before they get their baby, you know, for a lot of parents, unless it's that they've only heard of a lactation consultant afterwards, which obviously sometimes happens. So talk me through this. This is like obviously more complicated situations. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to say something now, which is going to sound super, super dense and really dumb. I thought you had to have had physically had a baby to get like prolactin in your body or or what? So we've all, you know, assuming that you've got breasts, and that would even be if you were male, if you're born male, then you would still be able to lactate because you've got all you've got all the same sort of working parts in there. Yeah. Um, it's about stimulating those parts to develop. With um, sometimes with the use of hormones, sometimes with the use of just stimulation alone. So it's possible to induce a supply even if you've never been pregnant before. That is mind blowing. It's amazing, isn't it? Actually, that is yeah. incredible. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So I think it's important that we all have this this education on feeding before we have our babies. I mean, I but there'll be some that. people that come That's more frequently. Mind. I'm like precluded, and I didn't know that. Yeah. At all. And quite That's recently. So cool. And also, like in those situations, what a great bonding experience to have with yeah. your baby if you've adopted them or you've used a surrogate. Uh huh. Absolutely. Oh Absolutely. And if you're a Muslim what? family who, um, it's you know, it's quite um, an important thing religious for for your religion to breastfeed. And if you're adopting and you um, feed that baby with your milk, they now become a milk sibling with your child. And that's a you know, really important part of, of Islamic culture. So to get that support early on, hopefully before baby gets to oh, you. Do you know, but that's why I half know about that, because isn't that like the theme in the kite runner? Oh, yes, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. There you go, the book, yeah. and then the him, oh my God, I've forgotten the two little boys' names, but like the servant's baby yeah. and the... the Rich lad and his mum. I think his mum passes away when he's very tiny. Yeah. His nurse by um, her son's mother. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, there you go. A level English. Yeah. Right see, there you go. Out. You thought it, you know you weren't going to need that again, I didn't but there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're sort of related, really, forever. And you know, you, yeah. if you if that was um you know a, a boy and a girl, and they were the the parents were looking to see, you know can we can they get married? They wouldn't be able to get married if they were si- uh-huh. milk siblings now. So, but that's that's important. So people come to me for that, um, and you know, they're often bumping into people just like you who who don't know that it's a thing. Yeah. Um, even their doctor, so they might go to their GP and say, you know, I'd really like to, um, be, able to be able to induce lactation. I'm seeing a lactation consultant. She's asked if I can come and see you about this particular medication, which will help. Um, and the GP will say things like, well, "This only happened last week. Um, it's not a thing." It's not a thing, you, you, and you don't need to breastfeed your baby who's, this particular baby was over 12 months. Um, it's not, you don't need to do that anyway. So, and that was the end of conversation. Yeah, the difference between needing to and wanting to. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it's not that breast milk suddenly stops having these properties once your baby hits 12 months. It, they continue all the way through the experience. Yeah. And the longer you breastfeed for, the greater the benefits are for both you and your baby. Yeah. So it is really important. And you know, this mum had obviously done her homework, and she'd she she'd, she'd already spoken to someone who was in the field, and then this was somebody who was sort of 
almost blocking that next stage of her journey, but because they just didn't know, there's a lot of pressure, I think, on general practitioners to know everything. Yeah. And we do kind of have that expectation of them. They are under a huge amount of pressure. Yeah. Um, and so often they don't know that they can refer on. So instead of thinking, this is something I could... You can't be absolutely every exactly. medicine, can you? Exactly. Or, but I think because the population expects that, there's then that expectation of yourself, isn't there? So I imagine there are lots of GPs in surgeries thinking, you know, not really aware of the fact that they might be giving out information that isn't up to date because they're just trying really hard to do their job and please their patients. Um, and they often don't know that there are people that are in that field who they could perhaps um, consult instead yeah. or, you know, ask for more information from. That's just maybe some of the common pain points that you help parents and babies mm-hmm. with, what would you say one of the kind of most common things are that people consult with you for? The top things are, you know, outside of the, comp- the complex stories, are the things like, um, you know, my baby won't latch, or it's uncomfortable when they do, or I'm really not sure whether I've got enough milk. And often then people will be topping up with supplements and things like that. So those are probably the top things that people come for. So what are your kind of, where, where's your starting point with, with clients when they come to see you? Do you kind of chat me through processes a little bit, Rachel? Yeah. And understand, if I was a parent and I was getting in touch with you for the first time, uh-huh. and maybe I have got one of these problems, I've already got a baby, I'm really concerned that they're not latching properly, breastfeeding is really painful, uh-huh. I'm not enjoying it, I'm thinking maybe should I just throw the towel in and uh-huh. get this in there? Yeah. What's your recommendation at that point? So, um, usually at that point, so that our first sort of appointment, we'd go through things like, you know, how did your birth go? But also, have you, are there any medical issues for you and before you had your baby, at conception and following, and also for your baby, is there anything that else happened? Just because sometimes things that we think wouldn't impact our feeding journey do. So whether you're diabetic, whether you've got um, you know problem with with uh, you know things that you would not necessarily relate to producing milk, so your pituitary gland or something like that. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. pituitary gland is so important for all kinds of yeah. different hormones, isn't it? And again, you know, within the last couple of weeks, I've seen a, a patient who um, has told me all of her medical background. So we thought. I've got it all down. And then in our sort of second visit, she said, oh, there was something I forgot to tell you about, actually. And she'd got a, a little tumour on her pituitary gland, oh. um, which was benign, and there's no issues with it, but it, yeah. would, it may have been causing some issues for her. You know, yeah. I mean, we get that in clinic all the time. Yeah. We, have, we do a really, really thorough case history, and we'll say things like, you know, have you ever had an operation? No, 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 no. And then they take their T-shirt off to have their treatment. And there's a scar. And then <laughs> Shark bite. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, I don't have a gallbladder anymore. And we're like, okay, we need to step this back now and start thinking about why might you have like shoulder pain and uh-huh. is this anything to do with like neurological feedback from when the gallbladder came out? Yeah. All of the problems that that would have caused. But oh yeah, yeah. It was actually it was around the time that my gallbladder was playing it that my left shoulder really started to hurt. It's making those connections, isn't it? People not (laughs) connecting those dots. And so part of of my job early on is to help people connect those dots and let's see what 
see what's going on and try and unpick what what's been happening yeah. so far so it's very rarely just about that thing that the person has called me for at that moment it's you know there are lots of things happening around it Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and we see that play out with mums that are worried about supply. So one of the things that mums will often do is think, right, I'm worried about my supply, I'll get myself a breast pump and I'll see what I'm producing. And for a number of reasons, they're not going to see what they're producing. Partly because the mechanics of a breast pump is nothing like the mechanics of your baby's mouth. And partly because you're not going to release the same hormones in the same way. No. But also because if you've just had an argument with your husband, you're likely to be releasing a lot of cortisol, your stress hormone. And your, the hormone that is going to help you release your milk is your oxytocin, your relaxed, happy hormone. And I, for one, have never been relaxed and stressed at the same time. I don't think it's something we can do. <laughs> so as soon as you've got that pump on and you're stressed, it's very unlikely you're going to get milk to come out. Now, if you're already stressed because you think you're not producing enough, you get into that cycle of, oh my gosh, there's no milk coming out. You definitely think your baby's not getting enough. Your baby's keying away because they want to get to the breast. Yeah. And, and we're thinking, oh gosh, I need to be doing some topping up now. I need to be yeah. introducing a supplement. And it is literally that you've just had a spike in that, in that hormone. And that could happen from something as simple as you, are, you, know, you put the pump on, it's working, the milk's coming out, the door knocks, and it's the guy from Amazon. You and do you not go, see him at that point. Exactly. But you don't know who it is. And even if he, it was your mum, you still don't know who it is at the door. So you have this spike in your cortisol. It's going to be five minutes, ten minutes maybe before you settle back down again yeah. and it starts to come out again. Because you've got to have that. It's got to come back to its normal levels. Yeah. So. And it's that, I think sometimes it is having that third-party person be able to look at... <laughs> the dog having a little yawn. <laughs> having a, a look at it objectively from the outside. I know that Samantha sees this sometimes. She's our paediatric osteopathy works here. Where... Parents have got themselves into the same situation where they're pumping, they don't think that they're getting anything, so they're topping up with bottles, and then they come in and they're like, my baby's got really bad reflux, yeah. and she's like, well, how much are they having, well, they're breastfed, and then I'm topping up with like four ounces of formula, yeah. five ounces of formula, and Samantha's like, you're just pouring too much milk into this baby and it's all coming back yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Because they've got a very small milk. stomach. Yeah. And, you know, there's quite a lot of stuff going on in, in that situation, really. And yeah. we're sort of trying to fit quite large volumes into a stomach that isn't designed for that amount of milk. If you think that, you know, a, a calf stomach might be designed to take maybe six litres, and we've got, well, to begin with, in the first few days at least, we've got about a five mil stomach. When we're using that, as it's almost a carrier for, for the vitamins and the nutrients that we've added, we've added to it, we have to use quite big volumes of it because it just won't do the job of growing us. Yeah. On, in those small amounts so we're doing that so a, 
you know, the first thing is that we have to overfeed with it to begin with. So we sometimes end up with babies that are a bit too sleepy to wake up and feed. And then we start thinking that perhaps it looks like they're more settled on the formula than they were on the breast. Yeah, and that's parents kind of, some parents do that because they quite like it. They're like, oh, well, I can give them a massive, massive bottle. It really fills them up and then sleep. And that's so a cultural thing isn't, as well, isn't it? Because <laughs> we've been told that babies should be sleeping, you know. And if they're not, this must be an indictment on your ability as a parent. So if your baby isn't going to sleep at 7 o'clock and not waking up till 7 o'clock the next day, there's something wrong. But actually, they need to be awake and feeding to teach your body to make more milk. Yeah. And particularly in the evening, you're releasing more of the hormone that helps you to make milk. So babies are driven to cluster some feeds together during that time. And ironically, that's the time where we've culturally been told they shouldn't be feeding oh as we get into that cycle. Yeah, yeah, it's that one of those things. I mean, it makes perfect sense because if you take it all the way back to like in evolutionary terms, what do you want to be doing in the day? Figuring out what you're going to eat. Yeah. And what do you want to do at night time when it's not great time for you exactly. to be out looking stuff to eat? You want to yeah. sit in your cave next to the fire feeding your baby? Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. <laughs> and then the thing is that that happens when we do that supplement because we're worried about its supply is that even if the baby's had a really good feed at the breast, they will probably still take that milk because the teat triggers a reflex to suck because it's hitting a certain point in the mouth at the back, but that junction between where it's your you hard and your soft palate triggers the reflex to suck. And as soon as that's happening, they will suck anyway because well, they can't it, help so they it. Exactly, it. exactly. Yeah, it looks like your baby was absolutely care. starving because they will glug that down, take it all, and you think, oh my gosh, I was starving my baby. And there's evidence there because I didn't get it out with the pump and then they, they glugged off all this milk after a feed. I must not be producing enough. And sometimes it's just having somebody there that can sort yeah. of unpick all of that stuff. But if you're not figuring that out with a lactation consultant, you could end up, like, just not... It's that lack of understanding. Yeah. And knowing, I think, that all, every parent who I've ever met has only ever wanted the best for their baby. Exactly. Absolutely optimise it. They don't want their baby to be unhappy or unsettled at, at any point in the day. And that, that's like them when we see babies in clinics, they're over full, they're windy, they're, Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, it's just been so great to talk to you, Rachel. And what I would really like to do is just share some information as to where people can find out more if they would like uh-huh. to. Um, so your website is um, your firstly your website is gorgeous. Um, Thank you. But if you if you're in the West Midlands area and you just search for Rachel Pre- Rachel Priestley Lactation Consultant, you will find Rachel's website. It's not difficult to find. Um, but if you would like to type it in directly, it is Rachel Priestley hyphen I B C I C And you're also on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram, yeah. Um, but maybe just message Rachel directly because then you'll get the font of knowledge. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank 
Thanks for listening to the Healthy Midlands podcast. Make sure to hit the follow button so that you can be the first to know when the next episode is up. Leave a review or share this podcast with a friend if you found it useful. And for more, come and find us on Instagram at Healthy Midlands.